Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Let's keep them in our thoughts and prayers as we pray. So if you have your prayer card, let's begin our study this morning by asking the Lord to illumine our hearts and with the intention in our hearts to pray for those dear people as well. Let's pray together. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies. And unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you all for praying together. And and remember H.O. in your prayers. Yes, he's struggling, struggling very much so. Um, yes, Gloria, question? I saw on TV that they was, they was uh, taking the, our troops out of uh, Yeah, that's why I said I don't understand the politics of everything, um, but we just need to pray. Yeah. Pray the greatest thing we can pray. I caught myself walking out of the store this morning after hearing that on the news and just thinking, you know, pray for peace. Mm-hmm. Pray for peace everywhere. Um, Well, we want to conclude the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John today. There are seven verses, I believe, 24 through 31, um, that will conclude that section. And I just put down a few questions on the board. These are questions that came to my mind as I was studying, and so maybe I'll raise them and see if they come to your mind as we study along together this morning. But let's read these six or seven verses as we know them to be. This is the story of Jesus appearing to Thomas. Because remember, Thomas was absent. So I'll begin with verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, 
his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but be believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then in verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And thus ends the 20th chapter. And some scholars say thus ends the Gospel of John, because it sounds like the end of the letter, doesn't it? Because it sounds like the end of the book. But yet, when you turn the page, you see there's chapter 21, and John begins chapter 21 with the words, after this, <laughs> and starts into another story, which we'll talk about next time with the Apostle Peter, and uh, this amazing catch of fish, and the, some of the other disciples. So maybe one of the first questions we want to ask this morning is, what about this ending of John like this? Why do some scholars think that 21 was added later and always be a little leery of people that seem to know all the answers uh, on things like scholarship like that. Oh, this was added later. This wasn't written by John. There's there's absolutely no evidence to say that. Um, I personally believe this. I'm going to take it at its historic antiquity, and that is this this is all written by John. And... um, I mean, if you ever told a story, if you ever sat down to, to tell a story or something and you thought you were done, and then you said, oh, by the way, <laughs> preachers do that all the time. <laughs> you think, you know, and in conclusion, then it goes on another 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's no reason to believe this isn't John. And, and in fact, I'm going to give you some reasons why I think it is John. If, first of all, look at John's first epistle, the book of First John. It ends the same way. In the book of 1 John, chapter 5, which is the last chapter, he comes to a point in about verse uh, 10 through 13 where it sounds like he's concluding the book. And he says, These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. Beautiful last words. And if anyone actually goes and sins, and you know, he just goes on for another seven or eight, nine verses, I don't know what, something like that. Again, the same parallel, same guy written. It's, it's not a problem that John had more to say after chapter 20 was over. Because what he says, I think, is important. Because here's what I think we've reached this morning. In these verses, I think we've reached the full climax of the story of Jesus. And in chapter 21, I believe he gives us the beginning of the story of the church. Well, I'll explain that when we get to chapter 21. But for now, let me explain why I think this is the full story of Jesus. How did the Gospel of John begin? 
think way back, whatever it was, two years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, when we started John. In how did beginning. it begin? In the beginning, what? What? Say it again. In the beginning was the Word. The word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And in a sense, is, yeah, was, was God. That's a definite proclamation by the Apostle John that Jesus Christ, the Logos of God, the Word of God, is God. That's how he begins his book. And now in chapter 12, and, and, and then he proceeds to give us special signs, wondrous works, teachings that he, John, chose uniquely different than the other gospel writers, chose to give us certain miracles, certain signs, he calls them, to prove what he has just said. He's saying, I believe Jesus is God. He was there before the world began, always with God, eternally existent. And here's why. And he tells us the story. All the way through the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus and then the appearance of Jesus to his disciples last time we were together, which was on the night of the resurrection. Do you remember that? Sunday night. We talked a little about it. It said in the eighth day, Jesus appeared to them that very night behind closed doors and said to them, peace be with you. And so the risen Lord appeared to them, but we also know Thomas was absent. Why was Thomas absent? Maybe there's a question we can consider this morning. Why, why was Thomas not with them? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. So in one sense, we shouldn't speculate. But I think we can try and listen to Thomas's heart. Thomas, if you know anything about Thomas, you probably think of him as what? Didymus. It's, it's just synonymous with his name. You know, when I was a little kid, you know, the scriptures call him Thomas Didymus. When I was a little kid, I thought that meant doubter because D started Didymus D for doubt, you know. Like, like the Bible was written in English, like that's nuts, you know. But that was my little kid scholarship. Thomas Didymus, oh yeah, it's Thomas the doubter. You know, doubting Thomas. Not, not good scholarship. Didymus means the twin. Okay, it's a term for a twin. And uh, so as to Thomas doubting, well, that he gets labeled a doubter from this very scripture because when he is back with them, when he is present with them, he displays some doubts. There, can you imagine that conversation? Now, we don't know how long, maybe Thomas, maybe Thomas was just so in love with Jesus and was so crushed by his death that he just didn't want to hang out with everybody anymore. Maybe he'd been gone all week, we don't know. But when he is back with them, and, or maybe he came back after a day and just missed Jesus, and they said, hey, guess who you just missed? <laughs> Jesus was here. And he goes, you guys are crazy. We saw him. You know, he's dead. We don't know how that story played out, but it could have played out several different ways. And Thomas, at one point, probably is saying things like, I, I can't believe it. I mean, who would believe it? Why would you believe it? They're not really, quote, uh, Jesus breathed on them in that episode to receive the Holy Spirit, but it's not like they understood everything about Jesus' life yet. Pentecost hadn't come. And, you know, they... Jesus, while he did predict he was going to die and three days rise again and all these things, I mean, that wasn't top of the mind awareness to them. That's, that's us thinking that's easy to understand because we're looking at it 2,000 years later. 
they were in the crisis of the moment. Their leader, their master, their beloved has been crucified, horrible, violent death. Nobody lives through it. There's no reason to believe he's resurrected. They're in despair. And so Thomas, you know, I think we could probably all identify with Thomas if we give him a break here. Have you ever doubted your faith? Sure. I have. I have. Come on, life is difficult sometimes. Not, not lately, okay? Not lately. But, but let's don't be so pretentious and arrogant to think we've never doubted our faith. We've never doubted God at all. I mean, there's times when life just doesn't make sense. And it hurts. And things happen. And we cry out, why, God? Why? Just like David did in the Psalms over and over. Yes. You know, even today, you know, we wonder what's going to happen to those poor people. Why? Yeah, we got to we got to say why. To them. Yeah. So, let's before we're too hard on Thomas, let's remember something about Thomas. Does anybody remember back when they were they had just left Jerusalem and uh, they were, you know, they tried to kill Jerusalem, Jesus in Jerusalem. They tried to arrest him one of the many times. And they had left and they were on their way. And then he got word that, I, I get my stories mixed up here a little bit. They had to, Jesus got word that he had to go back to heal someone. That Someone was calling him. I can't remember if it was the servant's daughter or who it was now off the top of my head. But so, and Jesus says, we must go back to Jerusalem, you know. And and the rest of them are going, wait a minute. They just tried to kill us there. And what does Thomas say? Thomas says, let us go back with Jesus that we may die with him. That's pretty bold. Thomas was the only one who spoke up. Let us go back that we may die with him. It doesn't matter if they kill us. We're going back with Jesus. We're going to heal that person. You know, that, that, so Thomas isn't just this weak, doubting, little, timid guy. But something horrible had caused him to doubt, and that was the death of his beloved master. And so, in that, we're going to learn something about Jesus really powerful in the scripture this morning. So let yourself, be honest with yourself, identify with Thomas, and let's see what we can learn from Jesus. I think it was providential that Thomas wanted to see proof of Jesus. Because that's human nature. We want proof. Jesus even appearing to his disciples at all was a form of proof. He knew they needed that. Okay, um, He could have just been resurrected, gone to heaven. The angels could have come and said, by the way, Jesus was raised from the dead just like he said he would. and He's in heaven now with the Father and he'll come again one day. You guys need to believe that. So they needed proof too. That's why Jesus showed up a week ago. In, in the upper room. And, and in, this, in this time, I think it's providential that Thomas has these doubts because it helps to solidify faith. Every one of us, every one of them, every one of us needs something to believe. Now, we can't physically see Jesus anymore because he is ascended to heaven. So what is it that we're going to get to receive our faith? Um, what's that? The Holy Spirit? Absolutely, the Holy Spirit. So that comes brings me to the next question. Well, the third one I wrote, I didn't necessarily put these all in order. What about the Holy Spirit? 
Remember last time Jesus was with them, he said, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Thomas wasn't with him. Did Thomas get the Holy Spirit? Did he miss that? What do you think? We're going to do some deep Bible study here. Somebody turn with me. Is all, that, all I have is my New Testament with the scriptures here. Somebody turn back to the book of Numbers. I want you to all turn to the book of Numbers. Okay? The story with Moses. And this is the story of Moses choosing the 70 elders that are going to be his leaders. You kind of remember that story. Moses, at one point, was getting so tired, his father-in-law told him, you got you got to choose some elders to help lead the people of Israel. You can't decide every case as their judge. And so he chooses the 70, and in that story of choosing the 70 and uh, ordaining them, if you will, he uh, we have some very interesting thoughts. We having cell phone troubles back there? <laughs> You're trying to find the scripture on that, I know. And it started reading. <laughs> it's reading the Bible. So, Numbers chapter 11. Okay. So, that's the story, okay? He gathers all 70 together, but guess what? Two are missing. Two are missing. See, do you have it? You have Numbers 11? Okay, Mark, go ahead and read chapter, uh, read verses, just verse 17 for now. Just, just read verse 17. Verse 17. See if I got it right. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Okay, keep reading. That's, you hear what happened there? God is saying to Moses, gather the 70, I will come down to you, I will take the spirit that is on you, the God's spirit that he has given to Moses in a very mighty special way. He said, I will take that spirit and I will put it on them so that you don't have to carry the burden of the people alone. God's going to ordain them, anoint them with his Holy Spirit in a special way. So keep reading. See if Verse 18. Yeah. I'll tell, tell you when people, to quit. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day, or for two days, or for five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils, and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Okay, hold on there for a second. Let me look at your Bible. There's there's a certain verse that I'm hoping that... We get to it. I can't remember because I didn't bring mine with me. Um, and I'm looking for it here. Yeah, here it is. You're all okay. So skip ahead. Skip ahead to verse 24 uh, or verse 23. Skip ahead to verse 23 and uh, read a little more. It was fascinating how God was going to force them to eat all that because uh, they were grumpy and complaining, all the people of Israel were. But now skip ahead to verse 23. The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. 
And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Keep reading. Keep reading. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since you, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, You are jealous for my sake. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Yeah, this is fascinating. Did you realize what just happened there? Okay, don't get hung up on the word prophesied. I don't know, ex- we don't know exactly what that looked or sounded like, okay? Um, but the key was the word to prophesy means to foretell in the power of God, the truth of God, whether that's in a language they knew or a tongue. Nothing ever said that it was in an unknown tongue or anything, but just the idea to prophesy in a mighty spiritual way. But the 70, two of them were missing. Eldad and Medad, they were still in the camp. They didn't go out where they were supposed to. But they were numbered. They were part of the chosen. And what did it say happened to them? They received the spirit right there where they were. Okay, and we're filled. So what we want to what we want to know from this is that it's did well. Thomas wasn't there last week. Does that mean he didn't get the spirit just because God breathed on them? So now he's not an anointed, ordained apostle, and he can't have this wonderful ministry? No, not at all. Because we don't want to ever put God's spirit in a box. We can't limit God's spirit. God, Thomas, fully well. In fact, who knows? Okay, here, I, who knows, but maybe that's what drew Thomas back. Maybe that's what drew Thomas back. I've got to go back with my brothers. Something special has happened. You know, who, who knows? Could have been. God doesn't need us to know that for a fact. But I just wanted to give you the biblical historic precedent that God's spirit is never bound by time and space. Okay? So even though Eldad and Medad weren't there, they still received the Spirit, and so did Thomas. We can have assurance of that. Thomas goes on to an amazing life, an amazing ministry. Thomas is considered the apostle to the people of the East or India in that day, the Orient and the East of India. That, if you go to travel to India today, there are Tom, they're called Thomas Christians. I mean, there he was the patron the apostle who went to that part of the world. You know, it's said that Peter and Paul went to Rome, Peter went to Antioch. You know, these apostles went different places, but Thomas went to India. Had an incredible, mighty ministry there that's recorded in history uh, and died a martyr's death. So Thomas uh, definitely received the Holy Spirit. So that's what, one of the questions that comes. Was it Why was he absent? Because he was absent, did he miss out on something? I think another question that comes to us here is, is why does John want us to know it's the eighth day again? Because he does, that's how he begins. Now, he says, um, twenty verse 26 that we read earlier, eight days later. So, it was on Sunday, okay? It was on the day of the resurrection that he first appeared to his disciples in the upper room. 
and breathed on them. So follow with me, okay? That's the first day, okay? So, and, and Sunday actually begins Saturday evening, okay? Hebrew days begin sundown to sundown, okay? So if we go uh, sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday is the day of the resurrection. Sundown Monday to sun, Sunday to sundown Monday is, is the uh, next day. And then from Monday to Tuesday, the next day. From Wednesday to Thursday, the next day. From Thursday to Friday, the next day. From Friday to Saturday, the next day. From Saturday to Sunday, the next day. Okay? So did I say that right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Saturday to Sunday. No, you have to count the first, count, count Saturday to Sunday. Sunday to Monday, Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, Wednesday to Thursday, Thursday to Friday, Friday to Saturday, Saturday to Sunday. What day are we on? The eighth day. Eight. John, Don, remember, John always puts little things in here on purpose, not not just... That's two Sundays. It was very important for John to note for us that this was the eighth day. Again. Why? 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 Why is that important? We can learn a few things. Early Christians certainly did. This became huge to them. The early church always began to gather for Christian worship on the eighth day. Okay, there was no edict anywhere. There wasn't some rule that was written down. Hey, guys, let's have a meeting here. We're going to have a general assembly now that Jesus is risen. We're all found in the church. Let's worship on Sunday's the eighth day. They didn't do that. It was just, it was indigenous to them. It just, it was just built into them to want to gather. Twice now, the miracle of Jesus' appearance was on the eighth day. The, this is right after the resurrection, but before Pentecost. Okay, before the ascension and before Pentecost. So the miracle, the miracle of Jesus' appearance. So the earliest Christians, the earliest records that we have of all Christian worship whether it's from the apostles or some other uh, writers and martyrs, early church, the earliest records always show Christian worship on the eighth day. And furthermore, what did they do in that Christian worship? Every single time. Communion. Absolutely. The, and that, there's, make no mistake about it, you cannot study the ancient church and the historic church and the historic faith without believing and understanding that when they celebrated communion, they believed Christ was appearing with them Amen. in the bread and the wine. Okay? I was thinking ascension. Ascension, sure, yeah. This was before the ascension, yeah. But you see what I'm saying? The eighth day. It's the day that transcends all other days. Amen. It's the day of the kingdom. It's the day of, and, and, and how does John end this whole passage we're studying this morning? What's the last verse of 31 say? Somebody read it out loud. Last verse of 31. What's it say there, Mark? Do you have it? Yes. Read it out loud. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Doesn't say that by believing you may make it to heaven and not go to hell. Doesn't say that by believing you may be written down 
in, in, in some membership role. It says that you may have life. Here, here's something we need to dwell on. Over and over throughout the New Testament, there is a phrase that is used, and it's been something I've dwelled on for years now, because the Apostle Paul is famous for it. He writes it over and over. And it's called this phrase, life in Christ. Yeah. Life in Christ. So in 2014, I began writing a daily devotional. Some of you will remember, as I sent them out over email, and some of you were gracious and read them. And I did it for a whole year. And at the end of that year, I started in November because I wanted to follow the lectionary cycle. That's the reading in the churches that read Scripture every Sunday in their services, the pattern that they read from of the gospel in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and the letters. That pattern is called the lectionary, and it cycles you through the stories of Scripture in a pattern to celebrate during the times of the year, like Easter and Pentecost and, you know, the different times and the nativity of Christ. So there's a method to reading Scripture, okay, in church. And in that, I said, I'm going to read. So whatever the gospel is about that day, I'm going to write a devotional about it, whatever it is. Because I want to figure out what it feels like to walk through life with Christ, in Christ, him speaking to me every day. And then I want to speak to you all. And so I wrote that. And you know, at the end of a year, I figured out, wow, I got to got way too much material here, you know, a blog article, you know, or devotional, five, six hundred words times 365, you got 100,000 words. No, but you can't print a 100,000 word book. So I said, well, it's not a book. I know that. <laughs> uh, what do I do with all this stuff? Well, I was getting ready to take the trip to Israel in January of 17. And so I thought, I want to put together a book. I want a devotional that I can just put in people's hands. And I wish I would have done it differently because I was in too big a hurry, but I had to somehow weed out 365 down to 31. I said, I'll put together a 31-day devotional and just call it A Pilgrim's Path because as a pilgrim, I was walking with Jesus for 365 days, getting ready to go to Israel and in that Pilgrim's Pathway. So it's called The Pilgrim's Path. 31 days to discovering life in Christ. And I capitalize the I-N. Because the secret to faith in Jesus Christ is to recognize that we don't just believe in Jesus. We have life in Jesus. There is no life without being in Christ. That's right. And we're invited. As Christians, we're not invited to believe a set of doctrines. We all believe a little different in some of our doctrines. You know? But we are invited to participate. Peter says it the best, I think. Peter says that we have become partakers of his divine nature. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, when I hear that, it just blows my mind. Somehow, in the mystery of God, because I believe and I participate in the reading of Scripture, in the holiness of Christian worship, in receiving the body and the blood, I'm participating in his divine life. I'm partaking of his divine nature. So much so that the Apostle Paul said this, the life that I live is not my life. It is Christ who lives in me. For I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer me that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And so this life that I live, I give it up to him, to the Son of God. 
That's mystical, ladies and gentlemen. That is mystical. If anybody ever tells you that Christianity is not a mystical religion, they're nuts. It's not about just belief. It's about life. And John says, I want you to have life, not just believing, but that in believing, you may have life. And to have it more abundantly. In who? In the Son of God. And Jesus himself said that you may have life and have it abundantly. That was John chapter 10. Do you see where we're going with this? This is so powerful. Yes. So, so why eight days? Because the eighth day should transform our lives. When you get up, when you go to bed Saturday night, okay, when the sun goes down, let's just get real specific. When it's sundown Saturday and you draw your next breath, you are walking now in a mystical day, Amen. the eighth day that transcends time and space. You are now in the kingdom of the living God. And you're going to lay your head on that pillow and you're going to hopefully pray and you're going to think and you're going to whet your appetite to say, wow, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to assemble with other believers, my brothers and sisters, and we're going to come together and we're going to sing praise to God. as one voice and one heart. And we're going to... Let me just say it. I think we ought to be taking communion every Sunday. Yeah. I, I, some, some Nazarene churches yeah. do. Uh, some other churches do. I just think it's, it, was the, it was the heart of Christian worship. Early Christians never thought of coming together to worship in corporate togetherness without the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Because they believed in the mystery of it all, how real it was, they knew that when they took it, their life was transformed. They were feeding one step closer to life in Christ in its fullness. What what is it? You know, Paul says, you know, we look through a mirror dimly. We we don't, you know, we're being transformed from glory into glory, into glory. Every day you live and draw breath in this life, commune with Jesus Christ in his word, with his people, in his sacrament and draw and you just draw closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and guess what? You will never ever totally exhaust your closeness to God because God is infinite. Until one day, we're all just going to wake up with him. Amen. We're going to wake up in heaven. We're going to wake up in the fullness of life in Christ. If that doesn't excite you, yes. I, I don't know what more I can say. <laughs> um, I, I want to teach that. I want to preach that. I want people to hear that. I want the church of our day to be revived because it needs to hear that message. The world is sick and tired of churches just trying to figure out how to outdo the others in their better music or figure out how to outdo the others in their better performance or figure out how to outdo the others with better buildings. It's null and void, absent this understanding of what I'm saying. But when this understanding of what I'm saying happens amongst us, wow, things begin to change. That's why, I'm convinced that's why Christianity flourished when everyone was trying to kill it in the first few centuries. It, it was dangerous to be a Christian. You were martyred if you were publicly found out. 
But yet the church flourished and spread because it wasn't just joining a membership in some organization. It's also exciting. It was becoming part of the living God. And what could be more exciting than that? What could be more exciting? If you're a person that struggles with whatever, abuse of drugs, food, work, personality, we've all got issues. I, I personally believe everyone has issues. They're just all different kinds. Okay, so let's don't ever look down at anybody that has some struggle or some issue. We've all got issues. But in that struggle, Christ wants to bring transformation to us. And you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. We don't. But he wants to lavish it upon us. But it requires something of us. What does it require? It requires our surrender. It requires our intentional surrender of our will to his will. Not just our intellectual belief. Demons believe. It requires our surrender. And then day by day, by his grace, whatever obedience we can walk in. So that John says it in his first epistle. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. Mystical union. Koinonia in the Greek. Okay, what am I missing on my notes? Because I'm preaching too long here. It's supposed to be Bible study, not church, right? Um, We're good with it. Okay, I have a note here to give to you. I have a note to give you. Um, This became illustrated to me in in, in, in a very real way. When before when I was a newly licensed minister, okay, it was 1998, I think. Um, you know, it might have been before that actually. I can't remember now. I knew I was being called of God to something, to minister in His name. Didn't really understand all of it, and uh, there was this, but I, 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 there was this friend um, who was sick and dying, uh, well, actually is a fr- the father of a friend who was sick and dying, and uh, that friend stood up on Wednesday night and said, at our Wednesday night service, and said, I, I just want to ask you all, God's people, to pray for my father because my father's dying, and he, he knew he was not a believer. In fact, he was a professed agnostic all of his life. Um, and in that process, I felt God tell me, go, go, go tomorrow, go see this man. Okay, God, what am I going to tell him? Don't worry about it. Just go tell him that I'm real and tell him that you love him. You've never met him. I've never met the man. And so I went, went to his house. He was in his hospital bed by his window. And I just said, hey, I'm a friend of your sons from the church. Just wanted to come by and tell you, oh, we're all praying for you. We love you. Never met you, but I love you. And, and, and he began to just visit and chat, you know, as a person would if they're dying of cancer in a bed. Love to have a visitor and want to talk. And he began to talk. We talked about all kinds of things. Pretty roses outside his window. He was by his window so that he could see the roses that he'd always tended to. And, you know, our day ended, our visit ended, and I just said, well... Can I pray for you? 
Sure, you can pray for me. So I did. Just pray God would be real to him. And you know what? I left. And the next day, God said, go back. So I did. I think he was surprised to see me again. Had a great visit. Same thing. Visited, talked about just all kinds of things. Talked some about faith. Next day, God said, go back. Went back eight days. The eighth day was Sunday. Praise the Lord. I think it was eight days. No, Wednesday, Thursday. So it would have been more than more than eight days. It would have been ten days. Because it was a Wednesday night, it was shared, it went Thursday. But the tenth day was the eighth day because it was a Sunday. Okay? <laughs> so it was on a Sunday after church. I can still remember the car we were driving after church, and I told Rhonda, I said, I gotta go see. Gotta go see him again. God said go. So we went and had our lunch, dropped the kids off, and went back. And I, I, all, what, what had been happening all week was we just become friends. We began to talk. We began to talk of life. And, and the night before, the day before, I took my friend three roses because I knew he'd love the roses out in his garden. Okay, and I took three roses in a vase, picked three red roses, and I said to him that day, I said, I said to my friend, I said, this is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Trinity, I mean. This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I set him on a CV. So you got roses out there, you got roses there. Everybody looks and you see roses. I said, the red reminds me of the blood of Jesus, shed for me and shed for you. And the, the roses are just, you, you see, the beauty is, just reminds us of God because he's the creator of everything that is. And, you know, we had shared, and, and through the week he had said things like, I wish I could believe. I, I really do. I said, do you really? He said, I wish I could, but I just can't. It just seems too unreal to me. I said, you know what? I said, I, I don't know how to tell you to believe. I just know when I finally just released everything in myself, I, I did it. But here's what, here's what happened. This is so good. God. God is so good. That day when we, I left and drove back there. Was it, were you went with me where you were on that? Did, I, did we drop the kids off and maybe you went with me? I don't know where. I took them to your mom's. I can't remember. I can't remember if you were with me now or not. You had went with me, but I, I can't remember if you were here that in that weird. I can't remember that, but but I went in and the, the Sunday afternoon there was his sister sitting on the couch beside his bed, and she was beaming and smiling, and he was beaming and smiling, and and I and I I said I haven't met you. I'm Brad, and he said this is the one I told you about. He's been coming every day to visit me, and. Uh, and she was just beaming. His sister was just beaming. And, and I'm thinking, this is a happy room for a guy dying of cancer, right? And I turned around to Leroy, and Leroy said, Brad, he said, last night, in the darkness of this room and the quietness of this night, I felt Christ is real. Okay. And I gave my heart to Jesus. I don't mind telling you. I got Pentecostal. Amen. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I don't think it was a foreign tongue. But it was moved by the Spirit of God. And I said, hallelujah, I'm shouting. I, are you telling me, Leroy, you believe that Jesus is real? He said, absolutely. I know it. I said, what convinced you? He said, he did. He did. And he did. He wouldn't have known See, it wasn't me. 
had nothing to do with me. I'm just a vessel that was obedient to go. But there was nothing I could say or do to bring him to Christ except pray. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. But that's our, that's our job. That's what we're here for. We've got to stop trying to get people saved and just start loving people and caring about it and being authentic and telling them who Christ is in our life, not within a hidden agenda that want to make you like me or want to make you join our church or whatever. It's not about that. It's about the kingdom of God. And when we just obey and just let the Holy Spirit move, he does. I'm sorry I'm all worked up. I just, I've got to tell you, I haven't told that, I haven't told that story in 20 years. But in in preparation, this is why I tell the story, it says right here. Because it's about, it's why John wrote all this stuff. He said, I've written these things. Let's read it again to you, this last line. I just, I just love it. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. We don't have records of those signs necessarily, okay? But always in the presence of his disciples, because they were going to be his proofs to the world. Right. Okay? And they even did many wonders and signs. Which are not written in this book, it says. But these, just these few, these including the story about Thomas, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Amen. So I got ahead of myself, but that was the, that was the confession. That's what Thomas said. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. We have no record that Thomas actually went and touched his hands or put his hand in his side. We don't know that he did or he didn't. In fact, the immediacy of the reply here, I think if he had, John probably would have mentioned it. But the fact that Jesus cared to offer, Jesus met Thomas where he was in his unbelief. He knew what Thomas needed and he was willing to do it. And Thomas says, my Lord, in an exclamation, my Lord and my God. Jesus had always been their Lord. Lord meant your master, your teacher, your owner, if you will. But Thomas said, you're my God. Let it be known. John wrote this gospel for a proof that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he says, these things I've written that you may believe that you may have faith, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is God. Yes. He's, he's, he's divine. He's not just some creature as some heresies were starting to be made up even in John's day. There's lots of heresies going around. Weird teachings about Jesus that weren't really true. That he wasn't really divine. That he wasn't really resurrected. That he wasn't really... All these things. Why was it important for Jesus to be in the flesh and show his wounds? Because he's resurrected. It's really him. I mean, all these things. I'm out of time, guys. It's 12.01. But I want you to hear passionately the gospel of John. The gospel of John. We've got one more chapter to go through, okay? But this is a fitting into this part of the gospel. The gospel of John was written so that you may believe without a shadow of a doubt Jesus Christ is God. And if he's God, then it has to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay? Because we don't worship two gods or three gods. We worship one God. That's right. And I want you to, I want you to just, I just want you to know that. Okay? 
And I want you to know that as we come together to study chapter 21, we're going to, it's going to take a little turn. It's going to be a little different. I believe John is finished. I believe that was the climax. Thomas's words were the climax. This is what he set out to prove through all these stories. Jesus is God. Thomas says, you're God. And now we'll see what Jesus has to say to the church, to his disciples, to Peter, and particularly in this chapter 21. And, uh, and we'll finish out the gospel. But uh, So, let's close with prayer. Almighty and ever-living God, you are our Father, you are our Creator, you have invited us into your very life. Help us, in the weakness of our faith, in the doubts of our lives, to be drawn ever closer into your Holy Spirit, into your being. Transform us, we pray, with these thoughts, these holy words this morning, and help us, Father, to become ever more transformed into your likeness. Lord, we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord, your Son, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as he forms his spirit within you.